It's Locked On NBA and a wild night. Buzzer beaters, crazy finishes. We're going to talk about it all. And then we're going to touch on some potential front office changes coming to the Detroit Pistons. And kids, get ready for some new rules. The NBA is getting involved in youth basketball. Lots to talk about. Here we go. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA with me and Jake. I am John Corrales. You know me from RedsArmy.com and Boston.com. I'm one of their Celtics contributors. You can find me on Twitter, RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. All right, we're going to start off with the little thing we like to call too long didn't watch. You didn't get a chance to watch all of last night's games. We did, and we're going to run them all down for you, starting with Toronto at Orlando. Raptors win 93-86. No DeRozan for the Raptors. Uh, Aaron Gordon back for Orlando. Toronto with a big fourth quarter, outscoring Orlando 25-10 uh, to win. Not really a, an impactful game here, but the big thing, I guess, was for Orlando that Gordon was back. He finished with some big dunks and uh, had a decent night, uh, 16 points on 7-15 to 15 shooting. You know, Toronto still showed off how deep they are. Their starters scored 47 points. The Toronto bench scored 46. And Lowry had a big night, 25 points, 8 assists, and 5 rebounds. So they're locked into that top seed. No big change there. The Boston Celtics are pretty much locked into that second seed, especially after a huge win. Boston Celtics might beat, so I'm going to talk about this one. Uh, the Celtics had no business winning this game because they were still out. No Jalen Brown, no Kyrie Irving, who, by the way, the big news in Boston, going for a second opinion on his knee. So something to watch there in Boston. There's some talk about from the surgery that fixed his fractured uh, kneecap from a couple years ago. That's been a thing that's been bugging him. We knew all along that this was going to be a problem that would cause him to miss some games. Now there's a question of whether he needs to get surgery to clean that up now or whether he will wait till the offseason. So while that all gets squared away, the Celtics are still going out there pretty much with half of their squad. But that half of their squad came back from six down with 20 seconds left and beat the Thunder, the Thunder missed three free throws. Russ lost, uh, missed one. Mello, who had a terrible game, missed two. Then Terry Rozier drilled a three. Jason Tatum, who showed out 23 points, 11 rebounds, stepping up in this crazy injury-riddled absence. And Marcus Morris with the buzzer beater to win the game. This is a terrible loss for Oklahoma City. They are now 43-30, and 30, the fourth seed, just one game up on the New Orleans Pelicans, and that's your beat. Jake, tell me what happened in New Orleans tonight. Yeah, thank you, Boston. And by the way, if you haven't seen it from that game, that Jason Tatum dunk was pretty nasty, and you definitely need to look up the highlight of that. But the Pelicans did get a very big win here over the lowly uh, Dallas Mavericks without Drew Holiday, who was out with illness, and I'm doing the air quotes with that because it sounds like he'll be back, and they just needed to get some rest because the Pelicans are starting the back-to-back-to-back as part of their five games in six days. So rest is important where you can get it. Dallas came out firing 
early and they weren't really missing much. But the Pelicans defense settled down, forced 11 straight missed shots to end the second half. And after that, it was really all Anthony Davis and Rajon Rondo. AD finished with 37 points on the night. Rondo had 19 points, 14 assists. Um, and nine rebounds, one short of a triple-double. And keep an eye on Ian Clark, who's been playing very well for the Pelicans off the bench, free agent signing uh, from Golden State last year. 19 points. He's been doing this kind of by attacking and leading the second unit, something the Pelicans really need, particularly now that they've got to play a deeper rotation. They played 11 guys instead of the usual eight or nine as they kind of try and get some rest, but a much-needed 115-105 victory. Uh, moving on in the West, which is just a wild, just crazy, crazy situation. Clippers, Minnesota, the Wolves win 123-109. Uh, a monster win for the Wolves, who now push the Clippers three full games out of the last spot with 12 games left for them, 10 games left for Minnesota. This is a tough loss for the Clippers because they are now slipping away, uh, running out of time here. Uh, Towns and Wiggins combined for 57 points in this, outscoring the entire Clippers starting five by one. Yeah, you know, DeAndre Jordan led the way for the Clippers, 18 points, 12 rebounds. And the Clippers were pretty active on the offensive glass, trying to do what they could to kind of get back into this game. They finished with 17 second-chance points, but the Clippers just could not defend Jeff Teague in the third. Teague had 10 points, four assists, basically carved them up, and they had gave up a 122 defensive rating in the game. Just not good on that side of the ball whatsoever for Los Angeles. Teague's former team, the Atlanta Hawks, pulling a big upset in Utah, winning 99-94. The Jazz led after three quarters, and it's just a wild finish. There was a crazy flagrant foul. Uh, Ricky Rubio just seems to be the target of everybody's shenanigans lately. Uh, And Utah had good looks. They they did not go down without a fight, uh, but Joe Ingles, who is normally a knockdown three-point shooter, missed a couple of wide-open looks, and now the Jazz fall a half game behind the Timberwolves, alone in the eighth spot. Yeah, you know, thanks to basically Dennis Schrader here for scoring 41 points. He had 17 in the fourth quarter alone, seven assists on the night, and he made Rubio look foolish routinely in this game. And it's kind of reopened that bottom half of the Western Conference playoff race when maybe it looked like there were going to be some kind of separation between certain teams. Also, Atlanta with a 141 offensive rating in the fourth quarter to get this upset victory. Uh, Let's breeze through Detroit at Phoenix because uh, Detroit blew out the Suns 115-88. Blake Griffin at 26, Piston Bench 55 points, uh, Booker was out, and Alex Len scored 19 for them. Now Houston and Portland, the last game of the night on TNT. What a nutty finish that was. This was fun. Oh, man. So the Rockets win 115-111. The Blazers' 13-game win streak is now over. And the game looked to be over, but still a furious, furious run by Portland. Damian Lillard, another big fourth quarter. After scoring just 13 points on 3 of 12 shooting through the first three, he had uh, seven points in the fourth quarter, hit a couple of shots, went to the line three times. He was 10 of 10 from the line uh, tonight. And one of the leaders of a, a comeback that almost they almost pulled out. 
Yeah, it's tough, though, when Harden is shooting like he did in this game, 42 points on the night. Houston shot 52.8% from deep, and even still, Portland was in it. And I know there's a lot of hatred for this Rockets team getting to the line so much, some BS foul calls mainly, and kind of, they're just not fun to watch at times, trying to draw those kind of cheeky little fouls. But this is a really, really good basketball team that plays strong isolation ball, and then they can switch to a bit of a faster pace and run if they need to, and kind of mix it up on a but you got to give a lot of credit here to Portland. Can you imagine if I had told you before this game started that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum would combine for 28 points and be 0 and 11 from three or 0 and 12 from three? You think this is a blowout, right? Oh yeah, yeah. But they that this Rockets team is. I mean this uh, this Blazers team is is going to be a tough out in the in the playoffs. They're they're not they're they're not going to go down easy. No, you see kind of the other guys. I just want to touch on them really quickly. You see their other guys just really developing. Aminu, Harkless, Nurkic, all of them. They're going to be scary. Yeah, Aminu had a hot night. He's going to be the guy that they leave alone in in a playoff series. And if if he can do what he did tonight, then that's going to be a big, big problem for other teams. So he he, he had a big game. So let's take a quick look here at how the standings now shake out. Rockets obviously at the top spot with the Warriors behind them. The Blazers are now still hanging on to the third spot. Two games up on the Thunder. This is what's so brutal about that loss for the Thunder because they could have, they, they should have been a game out of that third spot. So now they're at fourth, a game ahead of the Pelicans who are now tied with the Spurs. The Wolves now sit in seventh, a half game, half game behind them. Jazz alone in the eighth spot. Denver fading. Clippers Ooh. fading, and oh man, I just... we'll talk about them in the third segment. But man, those two teams desperately need some victories if they want to stay in. I'm cool if they don't, though. <laughs> hey guys, uh, I just want to remind everybody that not only is the locked on uh, our locked on Celtics, Celtics Pelicans, we just, I just come that was good <laughs> Celtics. Uh, our podcasts are daily, but so is the locked on NBA podcast you know that because you're listening to us so subscribe to the locked on nba podcast you're going to get what we're doing right now a daily bite size recap of things that you missed a couple of the big stories a quick look at the night ahead so you can listen to our podcast every day it's a rotating uh, set of hosts and you will have everything you need to know so if you had like a date or you were late at work and you didn't know what happened in the NBA, listen to the Locked On NBA podcast first thing in the morning, and we're going to get you all caught up so you're going to sound super smart and you don't miss anything. So subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast right now wherever you get your podcasts. Two big stories here for us today, the two most interesting things to us. The reports out of Detroit, conflicting reports, yes, but still there's smoke and there may be fire. So Mark Stein, who is uh, very, very good and very well sourced, was reporting that Detroit had interest in hiring Chauncey Billups to work with Arn Tellum in a revamped front office. Now, the Detroit Free Press later reported that that was false. Uh, in a quote from the Pistons, they said that's not true. And so we'll see. We'll see what there's a lot of very good reporters. Uh, Mark Spears saying that, quoting Billups is saying he'd like to work with the Pistons, but isn't going after a job. 
The bottom line here is the Pistons are a mess. Stan Van Gundy has a couple years left on his deal. He's getting paid a lot of money. So while something needs to change, I'm not so sure, Jake, that firing Stan Van Gundy outright is the change. It seems like they're going to pull the Doc Rivers here and and say, okay, you are going to be relieved of your front office duties. We're going to keep you on as coach, and we'll give you a, a little bit of time to see if just that one job will will be good for you and we can kind of start moving forward in a different direction in the front office. Yeah, and I think that's likely the way it's going to go. I, one, that's a lot of owed money to a guy, and you don't want to be paying. Then if you fire him, a new GM, and a new coach while owing Stan Van Gundy, all of that, that's a big pill to swallow for a team that's not exactly doing great attendance-wise. But there's got to be some truth to this. One, I don't think there's really ever been a situation where guys, the coach and team president, and by that de facto GM role, you know, that's been very successful for an extended period of time. And this Detroit team really really kind of needs a fresh start culture-wise. And I think that's why they're looking at Chauncey Billups. He was not the best player in any team he ever was, but this dude commanded respect, read the locker room well. And if you read up on him and hear the stories about how he kind of carried a team it mentally is kind of what the Pistons really need to maybe be looking at doing. Yeah. It, it, when you look at their, there's, there's that and getting everybody together on the same page in that respect. There's also the the task of putting a team together the right way. And I really think the Blake Griffin deal was a, a big mistake for Detroit. He's owed so much money. I mean, he's getting paid just about $30 million this year, and it just keeps going up. His final year of that contract in 2021-22 is going to be $39 million. That is a ridiculous yeah. number. I mean, so, it's like an albatross around their neck that it's it's almost untradeable at that point. We don't know what the salary cap is going to be. And it just prevents you from doing everything that you want to potentially do, even though he's a good player. Tack on Andre Drummond's big salary. And two more years of Reggie Jackson. They are, at this point next season... They are already right at the luxury tax, so they're going to be pretty close, and they don't have a full roster. I'm looking at their cap sheet now, and they have that they'll probably need to sign two or three other players or bring back some of these guys that are on non guaranteed deals, which will push them right right to the tax line. So next year, the Detroit Pistons, who will have a shot at making the playoffs, will be a luxury tax paying team in a conference that still may have LeBron James, that will have a fully healthy Boston Celtics, that will have a Toronto Raptors team that's going to bring basically everybody back from the top seed, that's the Wizards are still going to be good, Philadelphia's coming up, Washington's going to improve. Where do the Pistons fit in all of this? They are not set up well for the future. So clearly something has to change in their front office. Yeah, and here's the, here's the situation that makes this a little more confusing to me. Look, I, as I talked about, I think Billups is a good guy to kind of put in a culture change, but we don't know what type of talent evaluator he is. And if you're going to have him walk into that situation where they're so capped out, that's when you need to really rely on scouting on the D-League, finding these guys on really cheap deals that can kind of give you quality minutes. And I don't know if that's Billups' 
specialty or the role you'd really look for him to play in the front office of your NBA franchise. We've seen some, you know, luck and it works out maybe with hiring these former agents in Tellum here and you've seen what's going on in LA. But if Billups is going to lead your team, I don't think you want to throw him into that situation where he's almost going to kind of be, you know, doing this with one arm tied behind his back and it's not his specialty. And if you're him who turned down the Cavs last year, partially because they didn't want to pay him what he wanted, you've got to wonder if he wants to walk into that situation because this is clearly a very smart guy that doesn't want to set himself up for failure when he knows he's going to get a shot at running an NBA team someday. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of talk about Billups and, and however this works out, whether he's in Detroit, how, however it goes, I think what we're seeing is, at least for now, the end of the coach slash GM or president of basketball operations or whatever the terminology is for however these guys get hired. It didn't work for Doc. Uh, it's it not working for uh, Stan. It works in San Antonio, but it's more of a partnership between uh, Popovich and Buford. And I, don't, I just don't see it working out for anybody else the way they wanted it to work out. Like, I don't think a guy like Stan, like Stan Van Gundy's a, a great basketball mind. He knows what he's doing, but the, the, nowadays it's just too much. It's too difficult with all of the scouting, with all of the international scouting, with all of the analytics work that goes into this, with everything. It's, it's more, it's more extensive than ever. And it's just, I just, I just don't think it's a, a job that one person can do. You can't, be out there evaluating talent. You can't be out there in, in the draft. And, and now, when you throw in the the one and done thing, kind of maybe going away, you have an added level of it's even you know, more like work that you're going to have to do for everything. Yeah, you're going to have to have a very very extensive organization kind of scouting and evaluating and with so much money in this league so much money invested in these teams you have to pay a very extensive staff to do all of this and you can't have a guy in the end who has a vested interest in the winning now be the guy that makes the decisions for the long term, it just those two jobs have to be separate nowadays. So I think this is going to be the end of of that type of position. Yeah, I will say I'm. I mean, there's enough smoke here that you have to kind of figure maybe some change is going to be coming. But I'm also cool with this if it's going to give us another moment where Stan Van Gundy's on the verge of being fired and he has another press conference where he's drinking some Diet Coke and just talking <laughs> trash about everyone because that's still one of my favorite clips to watch when it comes to like NBA YouTube where you kind of get absorbed in there in weird things when it's just doesn't care at all. Stan Van Gundy is a pretty great Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, that was great, that whole Dwight Howard moment. All right, quickly, the other interesting story that came out today was a new set of guidelines that the Team, U- Team USA, USA Basketball, and the NBA kind of came out for all these different age, age ranges. So what I love about this is th- this standardized set of this is how we want it done. The NBA and USA Basketball – through and if you want to read all of this stuff go to youthguidelines.nba.com and it sets everything up from kids from 7 to 8 should use smaller basketballs they set the basketball sizes they say that the rims should be lower they've eliminated threes 
for kids uh, up until I think 11 years old. So they are kind of setting the guidelines saying this is how we best feel kids can develop their games and I I like the elimination of the three-point field goals for kids under 11 because it takes away this I think when when kids see like Curry and Harden do their thing they want to imitate them but they're just too young they're too small they're not strong enough to shoot like that from that distance and it eliminates, I think, some of the overzealous coaching from people who don't understand that they're teaching kids and they're not like auditioning for the Stan Van Gundy job. It's so uh, I think that they're <laughs> that was good. I like that. <laughs> some people just think that you know they're out there like no run to the co-, like whatever. Anyway, so I, I think. Getting kids the solid fundamentals early is the best way to get these kids to to reach their full potential. And like I just said, with this is all I think goes hand in hand with that one and done going away. I think the NBA is trying to get its hands on everything to make sure that the stars of tomorrow and 20 years from now are getting the proper development at the earliest ages, so when they get to each stage in the system, they have the best chance to succeed. Yeah, you you hit it right there, and that's what I was going to get at. That This is the NBA knowing they're going to get rid of one and done. You're going to have a, a many more players coming into the league, and you need to make sure that these guys are going to be successful because at the end of the day, they need quality basketball on TV and in person for people to watch and to see. It also has to go with the D-League looking to be expanded as well. Eventually, the goal is to get every franchise their own D-League affiliate and fill it with their own players. So you want guys coming up that are going to be these fringe guys that are going to be better than the type of fringe guys that we're seeing right now. And as you said, you're seeing players, you know, younger uh, players trying to imitate some of these guys. Trey Young at Oklahoma kind of looking a little bit like Steph Curry kind of modeling his game after that, where maybe you can pull that off, but that's not going to be the easiest thing to do. And there's maybe other ways you want to focus and refine your style of play in your game to make sure that you're going to be a good NBA player. I I also want to say that this isn't always just about developing the next basketball star. And also, look, this is for young girls too. There's the WNBA. There's a lot of money to be made overseas for these young girls. They need to be taught the same thing as well. This is also developing the next generation of coaches, the next generation of broadcasters. When you are taught at the youngest age the right way to do things and you get a standardized kind of this is kind of how we want to do it. And we know that there are outliers. There are guys that will have a a funky hitch in their shot, but it works. Uh, Stuff like that always will happen. But to get everybody the same instruction and the same structure, I think develops just this next generation of not just players, but the kids who love the game and just don't have the physical skills, but will – take this instruction and then turn around and pass that same instruction on. They're going to be the ones that train the next generation. They're going to be the ones who become coaches. They're going to be in the video rooms in NBA uh, franchises. They're going to be people who broadcast and, and just getting these kids, getting your hands on these kids young can just, it, it basically plants the seeds for the entire NBA ecosystem. And I love it. I've advocated for this from the beginning, I've thought USA Basketball and the NBA are the two organizations that can really 
get this thing uh, right. And and this is the beginning of changing the AAU system, which I now hate. And, and well, yeah, that system's there's tons of issues there. You make a really good point, though, of it. There's more to it than just the players on the court. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, particularly as they try and make the game more accessible and just to a, a larger audience. There's vital, important roles to the NBA in in other capacities than just being in a jersey and shorts. And that's a very important thing. Um, I think th- this is one we could probably go on and on and on about. But I think we've probably at this point got to hit the uh, – the, the games tonight because there's a few things in the Eastern Conference a little bit that have some seeding potential here. Absolutely. Before we do that, I want to just take this opportunity since we're talking about future of the NBA. Tomorrow's show with David Locke, the Thursday show, is going to feature NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. So make sure if you are new to the show, be sure to subscribe because that's going to be a big one. He's going to be talking about a lot of this kind of stuff, the future of the league, the future of – the playoff formats, seedings, the you know, tournaments potentially, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about in these NBA podcasts and things you've been reading about. Make sure you tune in to tomorrow's Locked On NBA show for a conversation with David Locke, founder of the network, and Adam Silver. Okay, tonight's games. Let's get to it. Uh, first of all, Charlotte's playing at Brooklyn. That's meaningless. Let's no get one that cares. Out of the way. Let's get that out of the way. Okay, Toronto at Cleveland. Toronto, like we said, pretty much locked into that one seed. They rested DeRozan tonight or the Tuesday night, so let's see if they switch it and put Lowry on the back-to-back. But Cleveland is fighting for seeding. They are looking at that Indianapolis at New Orleans game, and with the Pelicans – you know they're they're fighting for their, their playoff lives there. Cleveland sees an opportunity to pick up a full game on uh, on Indy, and that's what I'm going to be hoping happens. The Pelicans are on the second night of their back to back to back three games in four nights. Now is what we're at. Drew Holiday may play again after being out due to illness. Uh, and the Pelicans in this one to win need to get looks early in the shot clock. They're tired. They don't want to get in a half-court offense because they're going to struggle there. If they can get some key minutes from guys like Diallo and Clark, they can win this. Just a fun note here. This is the makeup date for a game that was rained out due to a leaky roof here in New Orleans. So as a giveaway, the Pelicans are giving out ponchos to all fans in attendance. That's hilarious. Uh, The Sixers have a particular interest in that game because they are also a game out of home court. They have a big chance if Indy falls there, they could tie Indianapolis, and they're playing the Memphis Grizzlies, so they have an opportunity there as well. You know, Gasol might be out for Memphis in this one. If he is, I have no idea how the Grizz are going to try and score against this Sixers team. Like This this should be over by halftime. It should be Philly. Yeah, I don't know. They might not break double digits in any quarter if that happens. Washington, another team that has a very vested interest. So they could gain ground and they could leapfrog Indy. They are playing the Spurs. So they have an opportunity to uh, climb into the fourth spot by themselves. And the Spurs with still no Kawhi, Washington has an opportunity here. Yeah, the Spurs are, are are on a four-game winning streak, and they're playing each game right now like it's game seven of the playoffs. LaMarcus Aldridge has been playing well. This is going to be a tough matchup. This is probably, I don't know, maybe the game of the night in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's one of them. Uh, there are a couple. I, I think the, the Clippers-Milwaukee game is going to be uh, an interesting game as well. The That game along with New York-Miami, there's – 
New York doesn't matter. But Miami and Milwaukee are two teams that are kind of fighting. I think that seventh seed in the East is the one that's really the one that people are going to want because Toronto, nobody wants to face the top seed. No one wants to face Cleveland. Boston, with their injuries, I think, in that second seed is going to be if – you're, if you're a seventh seed, that's, that's where – you're saying we might have an opportunity to get the upset. So Miami has a half game lead on Milwaukee, so they need to beat the the Knicks to hold on to that seventh seed. Milwaukee playing the Clippers. The Clippers are playing for their playoff lives, and so Milwaukee, if if the Clippers, uh, if 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 they can get up, uh, beat the Clippers, they have an opportunity to, to fight for that seventh seed as well. Yeah, you know, the Bucks' length on defense might give the Clippers some trouble, and we've seen their offense stall a little bit. If they can get some early offense, I think they can kind of negate some of that with a few mismatches and avoid their fourth straight loss, potentially. All right, and the last one, Denver at Chicago. Look, this is a must-win for Denver. They Denver gonna Denver. Yeah, they're on the road where they suck, but they're playing the Bulls who suck. So uh, they're going to have to figure this out without Gary Harris. And if they lose this game, man, just man, what, that would just be yeah. so good. That would say it. That would, that's it. That's the end if of it. If they lose this one, you, you basically count them done. And I think right most off. people are counting them done right now. They've lost three or four in a row on the road. They haven't won a uh, game on the road since early March. They've mixed up their rotations a little bit to try and help that bench. It hasn't worked. Now with Gary Harris out, their starters become even more susceptible to losing. I, you know, again, they should win, but will they? <laughs> that's, I think that was the motto. For the Denver season. They should win, but will they? Oh, boy. I, I, I can't believe I had that much faith in Denver. If Boban didn't do what he did, I swear this it would destroy, be an entirely destroyed him. It changed the I, season for him. Boban just ruined their season. All right. That's the show. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we hope that you enjoyed it enough to subscribe. We are just happy and thrilled to be part of this regular daily thing. And a lot of us are, are are putting in extra work to make this thing happen, and it's just I'm I'm excited for it. So please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a good review, spread the word, and share, 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 so everybody knows that they should be listening to us. Again, I am John Corrales. I am the regular host of Locked On Celtics, and my work, my basketball writing, can be found on RedsArmy.com and Boston.com. And I'm Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans. You can give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. And make sure you tune in to tomorrow's Locked On NBA for a conversation between David Locke and NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Adam Silver.